0: Palm Sunday. The topic this morning is is one that really does interest me. Palm Sunday, the cross of Christ as the biblical response to violent religious terrorism. The cross of Christ as the biblical response to violent religious terrorism, and the text is John chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. John 18, hope you have your Bible with you, 33 to 37. Coming to the end of the earthly life of Jesus, his trial before Pilate, 1833, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and, and called Jesus and, and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you, do you say this of your own accord? Interesting reply from Jesus. It's not a yes or a no. Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And it, Pilate, what, what's going on here? Is this an honest search for truth? Or, or are we just going through the routine here? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What, what have you done? And Jesus answered, well, my kingdom, is, my kingdom is not of this world. And then here's the phrase. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But, but my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, this is a great Christmas text where Jesus says, here's why I came into the world. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Every, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice so a, a a willing a willing turning so he's kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would have been fighting 36 but my kingdom's again not of this world 36 that's not how my kingdom comes how how does it come about well Everyone who is of the truth. So a willing turning of mind and heart. Not a love of praise or votes or just expedience. Father, are you asking this because you heard it from someone else or is this really something you want to know? Everyone who is of the truth listens. Listens to my, my voice. Let's just pray together. What a text, and what a subject. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need your help speaking, and we need your help just as much hearing. Both sides of the pulpit are frail without the touch of your Holy Spirit. And so do your work in our hearts and minds this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to come back to that phrase In verse 36, in just a couple of minutes, Jesus answered, let me just show it to you. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, if it were, my servants would have been fighting. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. That's a very profound statement from the lips of Jesus. Those are very considered words, thoughtful words. Here's what made me sort of stop and think about this subject. Before we get to that, probably, I don't know, 13 years ago, uh, I taught right through the book of Judges on Sunday mornings. I just finished reading through Judges, working through the Bible this year. And it just hit me again. There are some really disturbing passages in the book of Judges. I don't know when the last time you read it. Over and over again, you see the people of God fighting. I thought about that when I read this text from John eight thirty six. You see the people of God fighting. And that's difficult, but that's not the most difficult. What's really difficult is over and over again, you see the people fighting because God is commanding them to fight. They're driving out enemies they don't really even know. And they're doing so because obedience to God demands that they fight. Now, there have to be some people in this room who thoughtfully ask, is this how God works? Is it our, is it our job to stand up and fight? I mean, physically fight. Fight. All who would oppose our God. Is, is that what God's heart is like? Is this the message we have to proclaim today? And the reason people wonder about those things is because they can see the fruit of that kind of approach in various places all around the world. There are segments of this world's religions, religions, that adhere to the principle that faithfulness to their God demands some kind of outward response to all who would blaspheme their God, sometimes violence. You can see the fruit of that kind of thinking kind of splattered all over the evening news. All sorts of people fight for the front page when it comes to claiming credit for a retribution their God. Now, in our text this morning, Jesus seems to say this is not the way Father God works. He says, because his kingdom is not of this world, his followers don't come fighting, physically fighting for his honor. He says they would, they would fight if his kingdom were of this world. He says that. He says, it isn't. My kingdom isn't of this world. So his disciples, except for a little flame of quick bravery in Peter, his, his disciples don't physically defend him. That's not the way his kingdom advances. Physical violence can't produce devotion or loyalty to the biblical creator God you you can't prove your love for Jesus through exerting physical violence his kingdom his kingdom cannot be advanced that way that's what he says fair enough but then what are we what are we doing what are we going to do with this part of your Bible do you see what I'm saying What are we going to do with this part of your Bible, the fat part? Is this a different God? Or has the God of the New Testament, and there are people who actually teach this, the God of the New Testament, same God, but he's kind of grown up. He's evolved into a higher being morally, somehow more gracious, more loving than he used to be in in his Old Testament phase. How are we going to explain this? This is quite a topic for a Sunday morning. We don't cover it very often. And what difference does the cross, Palm Sunday, we're getting ready, Good Friday, what difference does the cross of Jesus, God the Son, make? So all of that is sort of the theme of this Palm Sunday morning teaching. Point number one. Before the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the only way God could reveal himself as a holy God was to visibly punish the wicked. And the only way to reveal sin to be horribly wicked was to make the visible punishment of sin extreme. In other words, words, there was nothing, even in the old covenant, there was nothing arbitrary in God's dealing with human wickedness. There There are places where God actually takes the time to explain his punishment of the wicked so that Israel wouldn't misunderstand what he was doing. One of those references is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 4 and 5 the Lord's speaking through the prophet to his people. And and there's this picture of the attitude that might develop in Israel's heart when going into the promised land God drives out their enemies before them. There's a concern that they might misunderstand what's happening. That's what this text is about. So Deuteronomy 9, 4. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. Do not say this. Do not say, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas, it is because of the wickedness Of these nations. That the Lord is driving them out before you. So it's not arbitrary. It's it's because of the wickedness. Not because of your righteousness. Or the uprightness of your heart. Are you going in to possess their land? Again. But because of the wickedness. Of these nations. The Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a lot going on there. But in this this divine theocratic government, God wanted his own covenant people to, to see and to learn that there was a correlation very early in the stages of divine revelation. God wants them to see that there's a correlation between sinfulness and judgment. He wants to make that visible. And in this early time of divine revelation, before mankind had the full picture of God in Christ Jesus, before there were police forces and legal authority structures like we have today in society, before any of that, God was going to great lengths to create a sense of The seriousness, the culpability, and the weight of sin. And he would play it out right in front of them. How else would he do it? I mean, somehow people had to be made to see that rebellion against God is a huge problem. That it spills over into families, nations children with pain and misery and death, just, just as he had said to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is what it would do. But there's something else. God, God also revealed that while his judgment was severe, it was also mixed with great patience. There are several passages where God reveals his reluctance to display his judging wrath Quickly or suddenly, look at Genesis chapter 15. You know this account. As the sun was going down, a a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. By the way, Abraham himself never got one square foot of that promised land. Nothing. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. When was that going to be? Egypt. Look at 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Now listen to this verse. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Why why wait? Why the fourth generation? Let me show you that. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Why why would Israel, do you ever ask yourself, why would Israel have to spend 400 years in captivity? What a waste of time. Why so long? And the reason God gives is his own reluctance to rush judgment on the Amorites. They didn't yet deserve the full display of God's wrath and so they weren't going to receive it. God was demonstrating that while his judgment was severe, it wasn't irrational, it wasn't random, and it wasn't exercised without great patience and long-suffering. Now, that's just the beginning. The beginning of the explanation for the violence that you see commanded by God in the Old Testament. So, so far on the surface of things, one would see very little difference between the actions of Yahweh and the actions of the world's violent religions. So we need to proceed a little bit further, a little bit deeper. Point number two. All through the Old Testament, God was preserving an earthly kingdom an ethnic kingdom and a political kingdom. I hope you sense the way I tried to hit on those words. All through the Old Testament, God was preserving an earthly kingdom, an ethnic kingdom and a political kingdom. And here's the important point. He is doing none of that in the New Covenant. He's doing none of that in the New Covenant. Remember the opening text. Jesus makes clear his kingdom is not of this world. But there was a time when God's kingdom was of this world. There was a time, and it's simply stunning how few Christians have really thought this through, the the, the central foundational point. What God was doing through the Old Testament with the Jews is totally different from what he is doing in the New Testament with the church. It's not just slightly different, it's completely different. And if that isn't kept in mind, boy, it's, it's terribly hard to make sense of the scriptures. Just on the side, this to my mind is the fundamental flaw with linking up, this isn't what i preaching about but this is the fundamental flaw with linking up the practice of infant baptism with the old covenant practice of circumcision which is what's typically done it's just as circumcision in the old testament was a sign of entering the old covenant infant baptism in the new testament is a sign of entering the new covenant My, my thinking on that is the New Testament sign of believer's baptism is designed to show not continuity with circumcision, but contrast with circumcision. In the Old Testament, God was laying down all sorts of laws and regulations designed to protect the ethnic identity of the Jewish nation. And the outward sign of circumcision was the outward sign of ethnic identity, The ethnic identity was necessary because it was through this Jewish nation that God would birth the Savior, the Savior of the world. Jesus didn't just fall down from the sky like the snow that's falling outside right now. He was born in accordance with divine promise and expectation. This was one way God was prompting the nations to recognize Jesus when he was born. It's his mercy. He made the creation and preservation of the Jewish people a visible miracle against all odds. This is why God banished so many mightier Gentile nations with Israel, the smaller, the weaker nation. This is not God being racist. This is God's plan to eventually reach the whole world. And he's prompting the whole world to stand up and take note. This is why God provided the Jews with the miracle of the promised land. This is why God drove out the nations that rebelled against his plan to put the spot right on Israel. He wanted to create a situation where people would would only be able to explain Israel in her promised land as an act of God. He was getting them ready, the whole world, the nations, getting them ready for Jesus. All that has to be kept in remembrance. The whole Old Testament has to be read with that understanding. God's harshness to the nations opposing his plan for Israel was a manifestation of his ultimate forthcoming grace for the whole world. But you have to see the plan. If the world had nothing striking to observe in Israel, it would see nothing fulfilling in the coming of Jesus and the whole world would perish in its sin. Point number three. With the coming of Jesus, the Savior, God's Old Testament purpose in dealing harshly with his enemies disappears. Here's the important point right up front. God's plan is no longer to protect the ethnic identity of any one group. Did you hear it? God's plan is no longer to protect the ethnic identity of any one group. Those distinctions are now obliterated in Christ Jesus. Paul says so, clearly. While it is true that one day when Jesus comes again, God's kingdom will cover the whole earth in the new creation, God is no longer building an earthly kingdom. We get that from the lips of Jesus himself in our opening text, 1836 of John, my kingdom is not of this world. It used to be. Not now. So either that registers or it doesn't. God is not maintaining the distinct identity of an ethnic kingdom. He doesn't need, this is why he doesn't need regulations about diet, fabric, festivals, feast patterns. All of that's done. That's because in Christ he's calling all peoples of all races, from all nations, of all political stripes, with all different forms of government from all the corners of the earth. That's his church. The kingdom God is building today is not political. You can't you can't line it up with being liberal, conservative, whatever whatever party. It will never be inaugurated by the passing of certain laws or the electing of certain leaders. It cannot be advanced in the courts. It cannot be extended through the raw exertion of power of any earthly kind to all who think they can somehow create a Christian society through the power structures of this world Jesus would scream no my kingdom isn't of this world it's not like that don't betray Christ through blind religious zeal ponder deeply the difference between the power of influence of religions without a savior and the power of influence of Christianity with a Savior. This is the heart of everything important. Please think about this. If a religion has no redeemer, all right, it has no recourse but retaliation when its God is blasphemed, The honor of its God and its prophets can only be preserved with some form. I know it's different. I know it's not all the same, but some form of outward might. That's because without a Redeemer, such a God or a prophet can only issue decrees and laws. And the future of any religion lies in its ability to ensure the dominance and the enforcement of those laws. There's no other road to success. No other road to success. Because Christians have a Redeemer, not one who persecuted, but one who was persecuted. Because they have a Redeemer, they serve Christ not by taking lives, but by laying their lives down in loving service to bring the lost, the truth of God's mercy in Christ. So whatever mistakes have been made in the history of the church, and there have been plenty, the kingdom of Christ is never advanced through violence. It is advanced in blessing those who persecute us. Jesus said so. So, All the God-commanded violence in the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was to produce and to prefigure an innocent lamb who who would save by having his own holy blood taken in violence. Christians now have a means for forgiveness that no other religion has. We come to all people with the same message and the demonstration of divine grace for the guilty. Point number four, and I'm wrapping up. The unique light of the cross of Christ on Palm Sunday. I have two texts I want to wrap up with. 1 Peter 3, 14 to 16. Peter writes and says. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Who's this? The them. Well they're experiencing intense persecution for their faith in Christ. Violent persecution. Have no fear of them. Nor be troubled. And and he's going to say you don't get even either. But in your hearts, in your hearts, regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy. You know these words. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when, when you are slandered, those who Revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's one thing, isn't it, to hold a conference on how we are to defend our faith that's good and proper and important. But the real issue of this text is easily missed. Most of us can be taught, truly be taught, to explain our faith with a pretty good foundation of reason and argument and apologetics. In fact, that's the easier part. The hard part lies elsewhere. How how do these pagans, these persecutors, these people who slander and revile, all those words are used in the text, how, how will they come to ask me about my faith? What makes people ask me about my faith? Well, Peter says, here's what'll make people ask. When you're mistreated, really mistreated, abused, wronged, when people gossip about you and your reputation is damaged. they're expecting a certain kind of response because that's what just about everybody does. And and if in your response they see something like Jesus when he was violently attacked and killed and crucified, if they see something like patience and grace and gentleness and a response of love, they're going to say, wait a minute, What is it? What makes you so different? And he says there. Don't we get this all wrong? We pray. We sing choruses. We raise our hands. We close our eyes. And we say, oh, God, be glorified in all the earth. Lord, use me to glorify your name. And the Lord says, all right, I'm going to do that. And he arranges. He arranges people to come into my life with nothing but ill will. And he says, if you're alert, and what happens is, we usually think, well, that's Satan doing that to us. And it never dawns on us that this is God saying, Don, I'm about to give you a doorway big enough to drive a truck through with the gospel. This is what you were asking me to do, Don. And so the next time, well, let me me do the last text, because it's even clearer. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You know these words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others, here's the same words Peter used, when others revile you, persecute you, utter all manner of, of evil, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's because of your commitment to Jesus. Look at this. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He keeps going. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, now, given what we just read, how does the salt lose its taste? We know how the salt loses its taste. The salt loses its saltiness when somebody persecutes me and I strike back. Jesus said there, salt has lost its taste. It's useless. Testimony is useless. 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let it shine. Let it shine. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So when you're persecuted, he says in verse Twelve, rejoice rejoice and be glad can you imagine how different the world would be if every time Christian people suffered they had the presence of mind to go oh goody 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 I have been handed the most glorious opportunity you're saying Pastor Don you're being silly really Jesus said rejoice be exceeding glad didn't he? I'm not making it up. So they wrong me in some way. If you just have eyes to see it, oh, here it comes. Thank you, Jesus. Here is the greatest opportunity I will have all week for the gospel. But you know what usually happens? When people persecute us and wrong us, they see the same thing coming back. They don't see the glory of Jesus. They don't see the glory of Jesus. Lesson in that Matthew text is the same as the Peter text. Peter, people can't be coerced. People can't be coerced into loving God. Morality can be legislated, but love for God, it can't be advanced through laws. And without Love for God, people are still in their sins no matter how moral they are. This is the difference in the kingdom of a Savior who laid down His life for our sins. Jesus wasn't a persecutor. He was the persecuted. And His disciples follow in His steps. This is a little... A little bit of work for Palm Sunday, I get it. But how our world needs the message of Palm Sunday. It's a truth that can't be spread through any other means than the outpoured sacrificial love and clear proclamation of gospel truth. To this day, and I'm speaking now right here, people still reject Jesus, maybe not persecuting him, but ignoring him. Our, our text speaks of this. In verse 37, Jesus said, everyone, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He speaks. He speaks. And he says, if, you're, if you have a truthful response to the voice of Jesus... You'll see your own sin. You'll see the holiness of God. You'll see the loving death of Jesus Christ, your Redeemer. If you're of the truth, you'll hear that. Unless unless you're the kind of person that would sit in a service like this and just try and turn a deaf ear. Think about something else. But people who are of the truth, they listen to Jesus. Let's just pray together.